Fielder, Managing Director at UMI Digital, joins us this week to talk about how to regain marketing control, whether you should be spending on AdWords or socks, and the question of the ages, how to score your pies. Hello and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. That is us. I am Emily. Catherine is Catherine, freshly returned from holidaying. How are you, Catherine? I'm very good. And how are you? Terrific. Mm. We all know that's not quite the truth, but I'm not going to share that with this group because we'll <laughs> continue on a merry path as if it is. Let's do that. Yes. Um Joining us this week is the ever-delightful Harry Fielder, who is the Managing Director of UMI Digital. Good morning, Harry. How are you? I'm terrific as well. Ooh, yay. That's going to be my word of the day. You inspired me to use that word more. I should use it more. Um, but I too am fresh off a holiday, so feeling fairly well rested. Um, it was one of those holidays that was unbelievably hot, and so you're kind of uh, cowering for air conditioning left, right and centre. But I did read a book, and... I very rarely read a book. So whenever I've had a week and I've read a book, I know that I'm probably going to be fairly relaxed afterwards. So, Right. Well, the obvious next question is then, what book did you read? It was the Thursday Murder Club, which is the Richard Osmond, um, one that probably, you know, a good chunk of the population has probably read. But I, as I said, I don't read too many books. So my wife said, oh, well, here's here's an easy one for, for for you to crack on with. So I did. Ooh, and did you enjoy it? Because I've only read the second one and I only read the second one because it was half price in Smith's at an airport. And I thought, I'm not paying out for the first one. I'll read the second one because half price. <laughs> well, every book I ever read is a hand-me-down from my wife. So I can't, I can't. Also, no price. Also, so no, exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not my literary budget. Yeah. That old, that Richard Osmond turns his hand to anything, can't he? Mm. He is also Never six that. foot eight, which is something I share in common with him. So I didn't know he was such Are a tall man. I am, yes. So it would be hotter where you go because everyone were closer to the sun. Exactly, exactly. Or closer to space, also, so it's colder. Closer to their air conditioning unit, presumably, <laughs> if they're up mounted high. Yep, 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 yep. You can just stick your head in, in it. And it will cool you very quickly. <laughs> you, sound like, you sound like you speak from experience. Yeah, <laughs> it gets too hot. Just... Yeah. So while we, we did actually escape, I think, that that peak temperatures of the UK um, down in the south of Spain were sort of near near Malaga. Uh, it was, you know, high. It was high 30s, um, fairly consistently. But it was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the with the travel. Um, I was I was anticipating it being absolute carnage because I think there was going to be a baggage handler's strike on the day we travelled and I thought there's no way in hell we're going to get our bags at the end of this. But uh, but we did, so that was always nice. Um, particularly with an eight-month-old, you can't really afford to have a lot of stuff not turn up. Uh, <laughs> no, although presumably in 40-degree heat, that's just a nappy, isn't it? There's not a lot of clothes required. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But I liked your pre- Pre-podcast recording, you you shared your strategic approach to packing across multiple suitcases should should the inevitable happen. Exactly, exactly. So hints and tips here. And Catherine, on your return from the lot, was there any travel chaos that you enjoyed? We did not enjoy any travel chaos because we were only travelling internally on a train. So, (laughs) So that was the end of that. We got on the train 
at the anticipated time. And um, and and uh, actually, regular viewers and, and viewers who are older than 23 will remember a time when British trains had carriages within carriages or like a little room within carriages. Um, and if you're a fan of Miss Marple and say the 450 from Paddington and things like that, you would have these little carriages um, which have an extra door so you can lock it off and you have your own, own little space. Um, and they were deemed, I think, in the UK to be a bit rapey and dangerous. And that's fair. That's fair. But they are not back because this is quite an old train that we were on. But we had our own little area with a door that we could close and 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 little and seat arms that you could fold up, and so you could lounge yourself across it. And the doors that closed were glass, so less rapey. Um, and so they think it all. They think everything French. And uh, and so we lounged around in our and then whenever we stopped and we thought there was a risk that people might get on, we made threatening faces and hit the window and encouraged the dog towards violence and that kind of thing. And we retained our individual carriage with window and therefore no need to to wear a mask for the duration of the journey, making it one of the greatest all time journeys. That's exceptional. I thought it was very appealing. So exactly, no travel chaos occurred at us. Well, many congratulations, unlike anyone heading for Folkestone in the last week. So so this is interesting. How is it coming across in, in um, the French media? Because the British media is obviously blaming all, all it's all the French fault because they're extra, not enough staff, extra checks. Uh, and we and we love a spin, don't we? What's what do you what's what's the story told? Oddly enough, it's not dominating the French media. Um, there's there was a brief statement um, in which the French said, "You do know this was specifically what you asked for when we signed this. You wanted us to stamp every single passport. You do remember you wanted us to stamp every single passport. Do you? This is all your fault. Something along those lines, but more condensed. Um, everyone in France is on holiday now, so they must have." that is your problem this is what you want we are already here there's no one no one left to gloat no exactly they don't want to come to your country with its 19 degrees and pouring rain they have their own country (laughs) they can get you by train Um, so uh, good luck with your Brexit see you later is the theme It's all going alarmingly well, isn't it, this Brexit? I feel totally in control. Exactly. <laughs> so, so once again, you know, it's a case of, so you wanted to end freedom of movement, but that will mean ending freedom of movement for people who live in the UK, not just for foreign people. So it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky when you get what you wish for. It really is. And look how it's all playing out. Yes, indeed, indeed. And I, I saw the good Port of Dover pointed out that it had asked the government for £33 million for extra booths. Um, a couple of years ago, and the, and the government said you can't have thirty-three million pounds for extra booths because it's going to be fine because they're just going to ignore what it was that we wanted. Uh. I know it's a pickle, isn't it? It's a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just wouldn't be a week without some travel chaos. So there we go. That's this week. I have a tiny, tiny more one more anecdote, which is I did leave the passports at home, oh, which no, was dreadful. Dreadful uh, taxi from uh, oh, no. where I live uh, to Luton Airport. Got out at Luton Airport. Where's the rucksack? Rucksack oh, is back home. Uh, we got there two hours ahead of time, uh, and I arrived with forty-five. Back at the airport with forty-five minutes left. Oh, Harry, Harry, Harry! All luggage, child in pram. I'm going to throw it down myself now. It's that's such a horrific. That's just the, uh, oh. 
<laughs> Such it's a bad start. It's made me feel really itchy. Such a bad <laughs> start. Sick. But I feel my uh, I was I was destined because my uh, I think my father did it on a family holiday once. He left his. Um, oh, okay. So you've done it now. Done it. I now I feel I've got it out of my system. It's not going to happen again. I can, I can empathise. Um, when I was very young, I'd trodden an, on a knitting needle and it went through my toe. And my father had done exactly the same thing when he was my age. Rite of passage. Let's hope that's it now. It doesn't need to continue. It's, yeah. just, it's just a one generation thing. Oh, yeah. Um, let's, talk, let's talk a little bit about marketing, shall we? Um, for the un- uninitiated amongst us, Harry, uh, what is umi digital what do you do give us a give us an elevator pitch trump's back so we've got to we've got to do the trump trumpisms trumpism and elevator right well uh umi digital um is a digital marketing company for the hospitality and travel sector uh 50% of what we do is design and build so that's software development website development you know um and and sort of the design that goes alongside that and then 50% of what we do is the ongoing marketing support for all of those things that we build uh, we do occasionally work with people having not built their original software or, or websites and things. But yes, our, our services are split fairly equally between the the, the techie people and the uh, and the marketing. And we try and approach um, we try and approach digital with a really balanced uh, balanced technical and marketing approach because I think you know you can you can lead creatively and that's fine. Uh, but then you're missing out on a huge number of opportunities that uh, you know if the technical side has to offer such as you know sort of personalization elements the deep integrations that you can create between uh you know a user journey and digital advertising platforms and various things like that so we try and address it really kind of on balance and equally between both marketing and tech to um to yeah to, to make as much money as possible through through the direct channel very good that makes a lot of sense thank you very much um why bother why bother at all with digital marketing? Let's start with an easy one. I think we, so. We were having a think about this uh, a few months ago, and it was like, who do we who do we want to work with? And it was people that actually want to take control of their direct channel, and that's not everyone. That is not everyone. And I've had an I have a number of conversations with people, and they might have more like, that, like the UK French border. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not everyone that yeah. takes control. It turns out. <laughs> Great crossover, um, and uh, so but they're they're perfectly happy with the channels that they have, and they it's just not appropriate them for them to take digital marketing seriously. And and there is there's it's not always the right thing. It is not always the right thing. Um, but I think for the for the people that uh, the well, the opportunities that digital marketing affords you is firstly control. You know, if you don't take control of your own you know, revenue stream or your, your funnel of, of leads into guests or, or bookers or whatever, um, you can't, you, you don't have control over, over that revenue stream. And therefore you're at the mercy of, uh, all the distributing agents out there and who, who, you know, may, it may go well, it may go badly, but you cannot control it. Um, uh, the second thing is like a like, digital marketing and actually having your own guests, that you have brought through your own funnel um, creates a significantly stronger relationship in the longer in the long term. Uh, there was an interesting survey in the states where, you know, Booking.com was was ranked the the you know the most popular hotel company. It's not a hotel company. Uh, you know, Booking.com don't even give you the email address of the person that's staying with. So so no wonder you can't create that long term relationship because the perception is 
that it's not, you know, they're, they're booking with booking.com. They're a booking.com customer. Um, and then thirdly, you know, the, the overall cost per acquisition, right? If you can, if you can achieve a really, you know, a sh- overall through your direct channel, I'd expect to see around about a sort of five, five percent cost per acquisition, right? Five to seven percent cost per acquisition. If you do it well across, uh, you know, direct across, uh, well, across website, across digital ads, across agency fees, across all of this kind of stuff, and then you you compare that to the, you know, the the twenty percent that you're that you're charged by agents, um, and it, it is all a balance. It is all a balance, and I'm not suggesting it's all it's going to replace everything because um, it's not, but it's a if done well, you can achieve significantly better cost per acquisition uh, than than agents because you know it, it, this whole thing is like a risk re- you know risk reward thing, right? You're by opening up your inventory to people just to sell it for you, you're taking the risk out of it because it's just a commission basis, and you pay for the privilege, and that's where that twenty percent comes from. But if you if you have a good strategy, you can de-risk it and you can achieve better results. Um, so those those are my kind of three things. I guess the control, the relationship that you can create, and and then also the overall cost per acquisition. It, if done well, it becomes a, a whole lot more affordable. And I guess this, um, one of the practicalities running through each of those three elements is the ownership of the data. Right? If you've got that, if you've got the systems and you've got the relationships. Um, interesting your that anecdote about Booking dot com um, because there's there's still ongoing tension isn't there if if a if a booking comes via an OTA then whether they transfer that data to the hotel and then the day then the hotel use that data to convert it to information and, and enable them to deliver a better service um so I don't know where I'm going with that other than to make that observation Very which nice. I thought was yeah tremendous, nice. tremendous. yes so all of this sits on a you you mentioned that you develop and um them from a technolo- technological point of view and also a creative point of view, develop the .com websites, the, ho- the own brand websites. Um, this is a bit of a, sounds like a silly question, but it's not. The power of a, of a website, the importance of a website. Um, I think we've got, we've got there a lot, we've progressed a lot further than we, when I say we, I mean hoteliers, um, than we had. Um do they get it? Is it is it still? What is the power of a of a of a of a website? And do the, do they get it? Is it still a bit of a slog having to educate and inform? Again, I think it for those that take it that take their direct channel seriously. It has it has now very much become part of daily life, right? And and it is, uh, you know, a content a good content strategy, a good adword strategy to to bring people to it. Um, you know, I think the, the the next frontier really is that optimization piece because in the normally for a hotel, you know, conversion rate optimization. I know this was something we might 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 catch up in a, in a little bit, but the the idea of that is you incrementally change all of the small little journeys that a user goes through to influence the end end result. So we have what we call micro conversions. So things like interacting with the date picker on the booking calendar that's a micro interaction a micro conversion so if we can improve the usability of that you ultimately improve the usability of the the, the form itself which ultimately creates a bigger you know a, a higher conversion rate at the end now the slight crux is that most of the time the website is completely disconnected from the booking engine right you have a third party booking engine so the website can do a fantastic job of passing people into the booking engine and you ha- you can have a fantastic you know a, a typically you might see a 
maybe between 15 and 20% click-through rate from the website into the booking engine. Now, conversion rate optimization relies on optimizing the entire process, but the entire process is actually split between two completely separate things. So that's kind of a tricky thing at the moment, and which is why you're actually seeing, I think, a lot more hotels um, start to use the API APIs of booking engines so that they can actually control the entire experience in one go. So they can have the booking it, booking experience, the logged in experience, the loyalty bit, the exploration, all in the same website because they can actually control the entire thing. Now that's where the adv- the advantage that all the OTAs have because they actually have discovery. Well, so the, the whole buyer cycle, you got awareness, decision, cons- what's consideration, purchase, pre-stay, post-stay, all of these different steps of the buyer cycle, they can control the whole thing. Whereas up until now, really, it hasn't been feasible for a hotel to kind of actually control all of that because they're just passing people from third-party system to third-party system, um, which is kind of an interesting opportunity, really. Um, but the power of it is, is that you don't have to conform. You're not just a small thumbnail picture in, on an OTA listing. You can, you can tell your own story. You don't have copywriters writing it for you. You, can, you have your own voice there. Um, and yes, it's never going to get the tr- level of traffic the OTAs have, but you can t- you, you can be creative with the things that you offer people, the way the way you tell your story, um, and that's really what people are people are looking for. And you know, you're going to get bookings through OTAs, and that's fine, and, and and it's that's fine. It's just we 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 talk all we often talk about channel shift, like what is going to convince someone? What how are you going to stand out and convince someone that building a relationship with you directly is is better? And, and the website is the canvas on which you can hang that story effectively. Um, so I've gone off on like a few different points there, but. No, it's really interesting. We were talking, we did some work with, um, we worked with uh, BVA, BDRC, and we did some work with um, them a couple of months back around uh, cancellation trends and people booking and then cancelling and rebooking at, at a lower rate. Um, and whilst you were talking, I was just thinking about that. And and I guess if you can, there was there were certain statistics about doing that, um, higher percentages of people doing that via OTAs than if you're doing it uh, direct. Because then coming back to your original, one of your original points, that loyalty is sort of, it makes you a bit stickier as a consumer if you're, if you're using the direct channel. So I guess that's another trend because hoteliers at the moment need to, need that booking to convert, need that reservation to convert into a booking, don't they? They can't lose that. Um, and there were statistics around um, making sure that that, uh, that that did happen. And you should never assume that, that an online reservation is then going to convert into a guest actually turning up that could, that could slip through the net, they could cancel, they could yeah, do whatever. The interesting thing with that is that uh, if you look at the the user journeys on both Booker.com and a, a direct website, both are kind of playing by the same rules. Both have the same cancellation rules. Well, they, they near as damn it have the same cancellation rules. But if you look at the, it's a really interesting exercise. Actually, you look at a Booking.com page and you look at all of the uh, uh, the risk mitigation messaging. So free cancellation up to twenty four hours, and it's all in green. And then you have urgency messaging, which is always in red. So it's only three rooms available at this price. And then you have call to actions, which are always in blue. Um, and so they've got this, the idea around urgency and risk mitigation. So just book whatever the hell you like and cancel it. Doesn't matter. 
No hotel ever says that, even though they're playing by the same rules. So no wonder you have massive, far higher cancellation rates is because they're almost selling the ability to cancel, you know, whereas a hotel doesn't do that. So it's not that they're, I'm not suggesting that you, you plaster, oh, book and cancel whenever you like, but I'm suggesting that there are a lot of reasons why people book through booking.com. And one of those is it's really easy to cancel and I don't feel obligated. And I don't, I, I know I'm confident that I'm not going to be locked in for something I don't want to do. All of that, all, all of those are very, re- very real reasons why people don't book direct, but they're all stuff that people can actually showcase on their website. So it's just, it, a lot of that's in messaging really. Yeah, that's fascinating. So you're saying that that in a, a lot of cases, it's the same level of flexibility afforded by both the OTAs and a book direct, but the OTAs, it's the way that they communicate it. I mean, so, you can you can push your same rates to, to everywhere. It's, about, it's like rate parity. You can't necessarily undercut yeah, yeah. each other, but there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing stopping you matching or even adding adding value. You can't necessarily compete on rate you know, to the same extent. I mean, you can, if you have a close community, that's where loyalty groups come in. You go to um, say, well, well si- sign up to be a, to be a member and, and have 10% off or 20% off or whatever. Perfect. Amazing. Now you can't really do that unless you actually take your website seriously and have that functionality. But uh, again, it's another reason to, to, to take it seriously, I guess. And that's where things go. Oh, okay. That's a, that's a, a, a springboard onto my, uh, another point, but maybe we'll come to it later. Um, I wanted to just ask about um, shifting uh, patterns of marketing during the 27 billion years, the pandemic that we've been enjoying <laughs> so far. So like, and, and what uh, changes you've seen um, that you think will stick around and what will just sort of be put in a box of, well, that was pandemic fun and we'll, we won't do that again. Yeah, well, that was cool. Um, so the staycation stuff is not going anywhere. Like they everyone expecting that everyone expected that to drop off. Um, and it didn't when people, yes, people are traveling more, but it's just, it, it's, it has stayed high. That proportion of domestic travel has stayed high, not as high, but has stayed pretty way higher than it was before. Is that because, um, is that because everyone now loves the UK or because travel chaos? I think when people suddenly stay and, and discover really cool places, um, in in the uk there are some amazing places in the uk and most of the time people just hadn't actually it because the default had become going abroad and it kind of recalibrated that slightly um so i think there is that uh, travel chaos as well and it's it's certainly like the cancellation rates of of flights and stuff in in, in the last few months have been crazy you know it's, i think 25 i think 25 percent we, we were seeing a 25% cancellation rate in some cases, but the cancellation, the actual real cancellation rate of flights was less than 10. And so this, it was like the fear that was causing people to cancel, not the reality of it. Um, but so staycation is going up. And what that means is that um, the way we market to individual, uh, like really kind of micro segments within the UK, um, we might t- previously, uh, we might have just been putting maybe counties or demographics or, or things together in segments, but actually that's become a lot. We need to be a lot more refined now because it's such, it's a much more important, important sector. And that's where, you know, you just got to back, back the horses that are important to you. So, so, so that's quite important. Um, I think engaging in the local community uh, and create and being really creative with packaging, that's, that's seen a real renaissance as well. Like, uh, Oh, well, our 
gin supplier was having a really tough time, but we've done a really cool co- collaboration. And this is now what we can, this is now something like entirely unique. And again, you can't, you don't have to give that out to OTAs. You can give your rooms out, sure, but you can be super creative. So, um, another big one, we saw a massive renaissance on, of, of CRM, of newsletter stuff, uh, newsletter marketing. And the main reason was everyone's budgets got cut. Uh, no one could spend on Google ads or all the, the kind of sexier advertising and marketing channels, social advertising and re, you know, reels and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and everyone was sitting on a massive database that they were probably mm-hmm. massively underutilizing. Um, and it became um, so this resurgence of, holy crap, we're sitting on a gold mine. If we do this well, this is incredible. And so there's some recent recent stats for, um, uh, from, from Revenate suggested that if you... Let's say you have a database of, of fifty, a segment of fifty thousand subscribers. Right, the conversion rate of that is going to be approximately zero point zero six percent, so not particularly high. However, if you segment that properly and take it down to five thousand, so 10, 10 segments of five thousand users, and give messaging to each one, you change your your conversion rate of that campaign goes up to zero point three six percent, which is six times higher. So by just adding segmentation in. And taking that CRM bit seriously, it becomes a whole different ballgame. Um, and furthermore, I think the email address itself is going to become uh, the it will become the central source of uh, advertising and marketing truth because of the way of the way third party cookies are going. We're not going to be able to track people across with third party cookies across all these platforms, but we can if we use their email address. Like if their email address is what we call so we have a thing called a hashed email address right hashed is an encoded email address that gets stored as a cookie now that is going to be the same whether you're logged into amazon or your website or wherever you are because everyone's using the same email address on the most part and that will become the central source of actually creating a complete advertising uh strategy um which after third-party cookies go will not be will not be possible and this is where things like loyal like having a logged in state having a loyalty program and actually capturing that email is going to become so much more important because we're going to lose the ability to cross-platform advertise um quite soon so that's a big area that we're investing in really learning lots here this is an educational moment (laughs) know any of this um okay um what does website observation? I wanted to write. I wanted to ask you this question because I genuinely don't know. Um, when we talk about website optimization, what does that mean? What does it mean? Uh, means making it easier for someone to do what you want them to do. Uh, so quite often, um, you will have looked at your own website for a significantly long period of time and be completely blinded to what actually people need to do. So uh, a couple of steps, really, or three steps, really, is. First of all, uh, I guess defining what, and this is all through quality, like actual research. Don't assume this stuff. Ask it. Like, ask what is the most important thing for you when you book when you book this hotel. Po- whether it's a post day survey or just friends or whatever, just ask what's the most important thing. Okay, have we got all of that information on our on our site? Like, step one. Chances are you might not. Oh, is it dog friendly? Oh, I haven't even thought about putting that. Okay, cool. Um, so first of all, just make sure that it addresses, so all your personas, all of your kind of marketing personas, you go one step further and you say, what are the jobs to be done, right? What does that person need to overcome in their brain to make a decision and make sure all of those boxes are ticked? 
sets the sets the base plate, right? We know that we're giving them the best, best possible chance. Next step is to those micro conversions that I was talking about earlier. So every single step a user goes through to complete an action, and this is per revenue stream. This is like for rooms, for weddings, for um, you know meetings and events or whatever. Each each revenue stream has its own funnel. Each micro conversion can be made easier. Like you can have a more intuitive calendar. You is it check availability or is it book now? Is it uh, reserve a table or request a reservation? Or all of these things have an influence on that micro conversion. So it's about mapping all of those and then using some clever tracking stuff and you know people like us, I guess. Uh, to track it all, you can then have a, a numerical conversion funnel of this to this to this to this, this, all the way through to how many people actually spend money at the end. So then the process, once we've got that all in place, so that's sort of step two, the next process is very iterative. The third step is very iterative. It's saying, okay, well, how? let's have ideas about how we can improve every single step in that process. Is it to have a more engaging color? Is it to... Uh, put a risk mitigating message off underneath the check availability brackets. Don't worry, you can cancel anytime. Like, is that going to impact it? So having all these hypotheses and these hypotheses are like, oh, uh, if I change X, this, the impact will be Y, right? A hypothesis like that. You then prioritize them all. So what's the, uh, based on, so we use a, what's called a pie score. So potential impact and ease. Uh, so what's the, it raises all the easy stuff, uh, the, the most worthwhile stuff at the top. Um, you can then de- create it, deploy it, give half the audience one, half the audience the other. And because we've tracked all those numbers from step two, it means you can then prove it and disprove it. And then you start again and again and again and again and again. And you just deploy test after test after test. And by by splitting, uh, by having all the tracking in place and by splitting old version versus new version, it means you can actually systematically improve a site over time. And just like the financial implications of this, you might see a conversion rate of, you might inherit a site and it might have a conversion rate of 0.8%, 0.9%. And you can get that up to like two and up two, two and a half. So you're actually doubling your direct revenue on, in, in, in some cases with, with proper, with proper optimization. You know, it's, it's, it has a huge impact. Um, and once you've got that conversion rate that you're happy with in hostels, it might be seven or 8% in luxury. It might be closer to one or one or two, you know, it's, it's different, but then once you've got a reliable conversion number, then you just feed it, feed it with traffic through advertising. This, does this take years and years and years? This sounds very complicated. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't take years and years. And it's the, the, the amount of time that you put in uh, per month is essentially the speed at which you can run through all of those ideas. Right. So okay. it's doing one, one a month or one big one a quarter. I mean, you could even do that really. Um, but certainly just asking a bunch of people, have you got what, why, why, first of all, why did you book? What was important to you? Um, and what made you nearly not book? That's another really good question to ask. Just setting that base plate. That doesn't have to take long. That's a, that's mostly just making sure the right messaging is there. Um, the, all the event tracking that I was mentioning of all of that, most, most sites should have that set up. I mean, if they, and if they don't, and it's, it all uses Google Analytics um, and it's just custom event tracking using Google Analytics. So it's nothing great. It's nothing crazy, but it's just a strategic implementation of it really. Um, and then it's about creativity. So then it's about um, just coming up with ideas and the speed at which you move through those ideas is ultimately the, the, the number of hours or number of t- the amount of time you commit to it a month, essentially. 
And it's always a law of diminishing returns, right? You, the, yeah. There's lots of low-hanging fruit, and then it's um, trying to then be creative once you've got all the low-hanging fruit. I have I've been a long-term fan of scoring pies, so I think it's scoring pies. Yes, I could get into quite easily. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to go and very, be very judgmental about our website later. Oh, I was going to be very judgmental for free bentos, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's okay, here's something you should try. Go uh, so there's a site called usertesting.com uh and you can you can basically plug in the, a demographic of whoever you want like whether it's a traveler like or luxury fashion or like, whatever you want to do. Find your right demographics and you can set them challenges. So you said I want you to research all of our like our product line. I want you to talk me through your thought process and I want you to go through the the point up to the point of actually paying. And they, they do a 15-minute, 20-minute recorded video where they talk a screen recording. They talk you through everything that they're doing. And you've then got 15, 20 minutes of someone that's actually cold to your brand. They don't even know you, but they are walking through every step with a fresh pair of eyes and trying to accomplish a certain set of goals that you give them. Usertesting.com. So actually, all the designs that we bit that we do run through usertesting.com. We, do, we, don't, we, we don't rely on ourselves to think it looks good. You know, we like to think it looks good, but actually just showing it to some people and say, is this intuitive? Can you actually do what we're, what's the, like, does it actually work? Um, and that, those user testing pieces uh, actually forms a lot of the ideas of where the problems are. Like it, it gives you a load of insight into where the problems are because you might not see where the problems are. Marvellous. Well, there we go. That's this afternoon's activity sorted. <laughs> there we are. Thanks very much. Um, we're rattling towards the end of this. I don't want to take up huge amounts of your or your valuable first day back from holiday time. Um, Catherine, you've got any more deep marketing thoughts before I plough onto those our questions? Deep marketing thoughts? No. <laughs> still contemplating how to cue it. I do like the idea of something which interacts with the end user because I think that's the problem with lots of marketing, isn't it? It happens in the marketer's mind. Mm. It doesn't make it to the person who might be using it. Mm. So One thing to look up is, is called growth-driven design, which is effectively saying don't assume anything. And every, all the we make so many assumptions. We're assuming that people want a picture of a comfy bed as opposed to a picture of the view. We're assuming that people like everything. Um, so it it makes it, it, it it's a methodology that kind of makes you validate every assumption that you that you put forward, and it and it eliminates what we call the hippo. Have you heard of the hippo? No. Well, I have no hippos. Obviously, I don't want to. Oh yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> there's a traditional hippo, and then there's this the marketing hippo, which is the um, slightly smaller, probably, um, but it's the highest paid person's opinion. And quite often, when you're going through a creative process, that's ultimately what you get governed by. The person that signs signs it off or pays the bills is like, oh yeah, yeah, but I like this. Okay, cool. Oh, that's, that brings me up to the, to the role of the nipper. Um, which is something that, that I, I invented ages ago, but I think probably already exists, um, which is somebody who sits on the board of a company who is independent. And I know there are meant to be independent board members who do exactly this, but we don't see any evidence of it. And somebody who then says they, then they come up with some plan and some strategy and everyone agrees with them because they're the CEO and you need someone to come in and nip it in the butt. Nip, nip, nip. Yep. <laughs> so it's like this nipper hippo theory. Yeah, exactly. Nipper hippo. Nipper versus hippos. 
When you started that gesticulation, I thought we were going to go on to Hungry Hippos for a minute, which Same is difference. a board Same. game that needs to everybody needs in their lives. That's a, that's it's only a matter of time before the Harvard MBA comes with a free copy of Hungry Hippos, I suspect. <laughs> uh, yeah, there we go. Hippos. An alternative hippos. hippos and hippos. Thank you. This is just, just one learning opportunity after another. Right. Um, before everyone uh, chuffs off and goes and finds all those websites that Harry, recommend, Harry has recommended, um, we're going to ask you five questions that we ask all our guests at the end of the episode. Are you ready? Yes. So ready. Cool. Uh, what is your most memorable hotel experience? Uh, my most memorable hotel experience was when it was on honeymoon and I went to Naxos and I went to a hotel called 18 Grapes. And it's a lovely hotel in itself. But the most memorable part of it was that the owner of that hotel just pulled up outside and everyone uh, basically said, who wants to come to my vineyard? And everyone got into this absolutely clapped out old school bus that, uh, you know, you'd look at it, you think that is, that's ripe for the scrap heap. But uh, drove us off 10 minutes, show, just uh, sampled all this amazing wine, literally just cut vegetables, cut everything from this from this garden. It wasn't an ad- additional cost or anything. It wasn't anything we had to book. He just waltzed into the hotel and just said, who wants to come? And it was the most authentic, incredible experience of this guy who, I, I don't know how old he was, maybe 75, 80, and this was just his life's work. Who and he had invested, you know, he'd done very well out of the vineyard and then also just bought this hotel. But it the, the two were so tied together. And he literally just bought a massive, a massive knife, hacked off all this tomatoes, just sliced it all up on a plate, lots of olive oil, just got wine out of a barrel, and and we just sat there for about two hours, having all these random eclectic mix of people from the hotel who didn't know each other, but just followed him into this minibus. Uh no bookings, no nothing. Um and it was just, it was incredible. Like the most authentic, um, spontaneous experience. So 18 grapes I was, was amazing. The hotel itself was incredible as well, but that it was just like this hotelier's uh, had a completely other, another life as, as, as a winemaker. I can see how that would be memorable, most memorable, marvellous. Um, the best thing about the sector is? Um Oh, it's going to be so cliche because it's so, but it, but it, it's a people industry, isn't it really? And I've made a huge number of very, very close friends through it. And actually, you know, a, a lot of my close friends now are through just meeting amazing people, um, through, well, it's hotels and actually broader, like broader travel. So travel technology and educational travel and like flights and all this sort of stuff. It go, and it's so the whole thing is so connected and if you're not just in hotel, like for us, we're not just in hotels. Our job is to know the whole travel tech, whole landscape. And, and, and as a result, the community is massive. Um, and I've, some of the best, some of the best like ideas and innovations and all this sort of stuff have, have come through friendship and collaborations with like massive flight agents or tiny BNBs. And it's, there's so much in between. Uh, but everyone, so hostel, what you can do, a creative strategy behind a hostel could be super applicable to a five-star hotel uh, and, and vice versa. You know, like youth travel is luxury travel in three years time. So the two are so connected. We are a good bunch. I concur. The sector would be significantly improved if? Uh, for, for us, if everything connected a whole lot easier. 
I mean, we are so, we, we're getting there, but on the most part, connectivity and standardization of, of data flows across everything is, is still incredibly poor. Um, and this idea of creating a holistic marketing journey, whether it's, that's just the booking part or the whole marketing journey, um, it relies on connectivity. Uh, and without that, you know, people like us, we can't create cool experiences because, because we're just hindered by the ability to actually connect all these platforms. So I, it is getting there, but it would be significantly improved if, uh, the connectivity between, if, if people made choices with regard to what technology they want to use through the connectivity lens, rather than, is it shiny or, or like, oh, this is, this uses AI. Great. But it doesn't talk to anything. Top tip, those who are in the market of technology procurement. Um, what the industry needs now is? Um, I think the industry now needs to view digital marketing as an important thing, but it's also, there's always an opportunity cost for spending on digital. The advertising spend is powerful, but think of other things that you could do to make yourself stand out. So a small example with Umi, we don't spend much on AdWords at all, really. But, you know, I go, oh, we could put a few hundred quid into AdWords or I could spend 300 quid and make branded socks, right? And I just got, I ordered 200 pairs of branded socks on Alibaba and used them as my business card for like a few months and gave out all these socks. The return on investment from that spend was significantly higher than I would ever achieve on AdWords for us, right? So as an example, there's always an opportunity cost to, to stuff. And digital marketing is like, it's just a part of marketing. It's not a discipline in itself. And so often, you know, we go into, oh, how are we going to improve our revenue online? Or how are we going to improve our revenue in our business? It, it, we, we immediately zone in on digital, but we forget that actually... It's it, digital is just a part of that. It's just an execution method of being creative with the rest of stuff. And I think I'd, I'd so what I think the industry needs now is to be to see to see it as such and be more creative and always treat okay. What are all the different things? What are the craziest ideas that we could spend this thousand pounds of media marketing budget on that that might that, apart from stocks because that's my idea. No one else can do stocks now. <laughs> um, and then because ultimately digital will. If it's cool enough offline, digital will catch up with it and it will empower the digital. But so often digital is having to rely on on its own without anything else to like prop it up on empowerment, uh, empower it. Um, I don't know. Be, be more creative. Think of the opportunity cost of what you're spending money on. And finally, because um, my voice is about to give way, I'd like to think we've learned from the pandemic. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, dot. Um, that... We cannot ignore the communities that we have. That, 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 that's the, the CRM thing I mentioned earlier. Everyone was like, oh, actually, we are sitting on a complete goldmine. Oh, actually, we have amazing relationships with people in the, in the local neighborhood or the local area. And, oh, we have an amazing opportunity to create really cu- like curated, inspired, collaborative project, uh, products and, and services and, and offerings. Um, that was really inspiring to me and to, and it forced people into creativity. Like we worked with like North, the Northcote, the hotel and restaurant, Michelin star restaurant, um, up in near, near Preston and, uh, well, Blackburn. 
and they like they they did their North Coat at home food boxes. It was incredible. Like sold out every week, and it was just super innovative. Um, they were kind of the first movers on it, but it just forced people into collaborating with with you know with local partners and just thinking outside the box. And I think it, it before the pandemic, everything had been quite steady and rosy. Oh, sorry, I've bashed my microphone there. Uh, steady and rosy, and we didn't need to be that creative. Uh, and and I think I would really hope that we can continue that. Um, community-minded uh community community-minded approach to cu- like curating services and products and also this like innov- innovative um streak and i think the good operators will won't they probably um so yeah i think long so. live that i think so and that's the mass like a massive opportunity you have on all of these distributing agents because they can't you, they just have to sell what you push them but there's not you don't have to push them everything you can hold cool stuff back. Including socks. Including um, socks. Harry, that was a delight. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I hope you have a terrific week. And um, yes, you reintegrate into society post-holiday in a joyful way. I will do my very best. Thank <laughs> you. It's been wonderful to be here as well. It's our pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Harry. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please like, share, subscribe, do all the things that you're supposed to do. I have no idea what they are, but you do. Uh, And join us again for another episode of New Tricks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg, or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.